thanks for joining us online. We are so glad that you're here. Yes, and uh, we want to encourage you that uh, while we're still in this season where a lot of people are not feeling uh, safe coming to church in person, uh, that it's a great time to find some people that you can connect with uh, safely or, uh, or online. There are a lot of ways to connect with groups at MRCC, so you can check out mrccnow.org or you can call the office and uh, you can find out some more about some of the groups that are happening and ways to get people around you that are going to lift you up in this season. Yeah, it's so important that we stay a part of community together. Uh, while we're so glad that you're with us on Community Online, we want to give you opportunity to connect with people in person where you can. Yeah. And there's lots of ways to do that, so connect with us that way. Also, let us know you're here. There's a connect button right there, uh, or give us a call, call the church office. Uh, make sure that you're connected with us so that we can send mail, send updates, whatever way we can connect with you uh, through the online community, that'd be awesome as well. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, just so you know, there's also a lot of classes. Um, we, we really believe and value the teaching of God's Word here at uh, MRCC. So again, you can check mrccnow.org to see some of the cool classes and ways to engage your heart with Scripture that are coming up. Um, Pastor Allison? Mm -hmm. Oh, there's some other fun stuff coming there's up. There's some fun I mean, stuff coming up. It is October. Woo! Yeah, and you know, the candy time! Last day of October is like the kids' favorite candy time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so we have a couple of things you can do with us in the uh, side of events is uh, our Mops group is hosting a trunk or treat on the yeah. 27th during the day. So make sure you check that out. Um, but we'll also have, since uh, you know October 31st is on a Saturday, yeah. gives us some time. Uh, so we're going to call it Fun Fest. You call it whatever. Fun Fest! Right. The coolest event of the season. Amen. Uh, but we will be outside. We'll have a huge maze. It's going to be super oh, fun. Awesome. I'm so excited for the yes. maze uh, because we have experts designing it, not me. Yeah. And that actually makes it all the better. Um, and of course, tons of candy because we want kids to feel like yes. they have a place to come to get lots of candy. Yes. So there'll be games and other ways to, I don't know, get a lot of candy. Candy. Okay. Yeah, we call them the government. It's about Fun Fest. Yes. It's about candy. And awesome mazes. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's it. That's awesome. MRCC, uh, again, I'm Pastor Darius. This is Pastor Allison. We love you guys, and uh, we're going to worship together right now. Yeah, let's worship God. Amen. Good morning, MRCC. Welcome to Church Online today. Today, we get to celebrate our great God and His amazing love. This love is greater than sickness. His love has the power for reconciliation, and we get to respond to this love with praise. In His Word, it is written, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Church, His presence is here wherever we are gathered. Let us praise Him today for He's worthy. Amen. Let us worship. Yes, we worship you, Lord, and you love, yes. See, before I call, before I call, before I ever cry, you answer me from where the thunder hides. I cannot run this heart I'm tethered to With every step I collide with you yeah. Like a tidal wave crashing over 
trust in him, our firm foundation. Let us walk with confidence in Jesus. Yes, we worship you. Trust 
God, we believe the power of these words. We believe in your goodness. Lord, we know that life may not always be easy, but we know that you're at work. You are working things for our good and for your glory. So God, as your sons and daughters, we worship you for all that you are, the past, the present, and the things to come. You are a great God, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you for worshiping this great God with us. Oh, yes, Lord, you are good to us. Your faithfulness is real. We feel it. We celebrate it. Thank you for that. And thank you, worship team, for leading us, helping us step into the presence of God. And, and I'm glad to be able to join with you right now, whether it's good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever works for you. It's great to be with you, friends. Welcome to our online campus at MRCC. And, and if you have your Bible nearby, grab it and turn it to Philippians chapter 2. And, and let's together continue this journey in Philippians as we let God speak to us on his terms, straight from his word, verse by verse. Let's allow ourselves to grow up into the maturity of receiving God's word on his terms. And as we get ready to do that, as you're finding Philippians chapter 2, I just want to let you know that we as a church are working on a process right now that, we will, that will lead us to the point where we're able to have what we call a live stream worship service. In other words, when you gather with us at 8 or 9.30 or 11 on a Sunday morning, you'll actually be gathering in real time with the folks who are here physically in the sanctuary. And that's a goal we've been working to, towards for some time. There's a lot of technical challenges that go with it. We're early in that process. But we want you to know that we're moving in that direction. We're excited about it. There is a certain dynamic, a certain electricity, if you will, that goes with our, our being in the moment together. So I'm looking forward to that. I invite you to look forward to that as well. And, and let's open God's Word together here in Philippians chapter 2. And let me begin by, by asking you a question. Do you have any any rivalries that you enjoy, that you have fun with? Maybe it's a sibling rivalry, you and your brother, you and your sister. Maybe it's a, a sports rivalry, you know, Husky Cougars. Or maybe you have a buddy who's a 49er. I can't understand why anybody would have a friend who's a 49er, but maybe you do. And so you kind of have fun with the whole rivalry thing. Rivalries can be a blast. And, and maybe none are more fun than the college football rivalries that come with this time of year. Uh, I know we certainly enjoy that around our house. I've got Cougar friends. I've got Husky friends. In fact, my best friend, a Husky for, uh, that has been my best buddy for more than 30 years, almost every time we get together on purpose, he wears Husky gear, uh, sends me ads for Husky gear. It's a funny, it's an ongoing thing we have. Um, I came across a website this week that, uh, you know, lists a bunch of jokes that you can share in college football rivalries. And I thought I'd just share a few of those with you. In fact, in the website, you can go in and, and plug in any team in the country and get a whole set of jokes designed just for that team. It's some fun stuff. So I thought I'd share a few of them with you. For example, it was reported this week that new Cougars coach Nick Rolovich will only be dressing 20 players for practice this year. The rest of the players will have to dress themselves, which is, you know, not a common skill among Cougars, is the idea. You heard about the power outage at the University of Washington this week. Let's speak to the Huskies in the crowd. 
Yeah, there was a power outage and it was a real tragedy because I guess some 50 Huskies were stuck on the escalator in the library for three hours, you know, no power. So there they were, you get the idea. How many cougar freshmen does it take to screw in a light bulb? Well, the answer is none. That's a sophomore course at WSU. You need to advance a little before they trust you with that kind of thing. Why are Husky football players attracted to smart women? Because opposites attract. That's how it works. That's how it's always been. Uh, and, you know, you can plug in on this website all across the country. And, for example, how do you get a former Ohio State football player off your porch? Pay him for the pizza. He'll go away. That's what he's waiting for. How can you tell an Auburn football player has a girlfriend? Because there's tobacco juice stains on both sides of his pickup. <laughs> and that's how you know what's going on there. If you're driving and you see a University of Miami football player riding a bike, why should you be extra careful not to hit him? Because there's a good chance it's your bike. <laughs> you don't want to ruin it. Or an Oregon Ducks football player was bragging about finishing a jigsaw puzzle in just three months. Somebody said, you're proud of that? He said, you bet I'm proud of it. Look, it says right here on the box, four to six years. You get the idea. Rivalries can be fun when we give each other a hard time, when we laugh together, when we have the right attitude about a rivalry. It's a fun thing. But a rivalry stops being fun when we let the little identities that it creates overwhelm the bigger identities that make it fun. For example, I, I read a story recently about two rival soccer teams in Honduras. And in 2009, they were to meet for the championship, but the pregame, uh, you know, rousing up and getting excited, the pregame got so intense among the two fan bases that, that it turned into a riot. It turned into a fight. Two people were killed, more than a dozen injured. Suddenly the rivalry was no fun anymore, was no good anymore. And you would think they would have learned a lesson, but the article went on to say that in 2016 the exact same thing occurred. Another person lost their life. Several were seriously injured. Last year in 2019, it happened again. Three people died. More than 40 seriously injured. That's not a rivalry that's fun. That is not a rivalry that can be enjoyed. And why did it happen? Because a lesser identity overwhelmed a greater one. You know, both of those fan bases would say they love soccer. And since they share that love, they should be friends. But instead, a lesser identity overwhelmed a greater one. And as a result, you know, tragedy. I so appreciate every year when uh, friends, some friends of ours here in the church who are Huskies, lifelong, diehard, and they invite us to go to the Ducks-Husky game. Ron and I, growing up in Eugene, are, are Oregon Ducks. And, and so they invite us to go to the game. And we actually sit in the season uh, ticket sections, walled wall purple, <laughs> and we come in there all green and yellow. But the last few times we've gone, we've struck up this great relationship with the season ticket holders who sit next to us. And we laugh and we joke and we give each other a hard time. And we congratulate each other, win or lose, after the game. And it's awesome because we let the greater identity of being fans of college football, of being, you know, folks in the same place and time, to overwhelm the lesser one. <laughs> sure, they're wearing purple, we're wearing green and yellow, but there's something much bigger going on. And in the same way, God wants us to own our greater identity as believers, as the family of God, as brothers and sisters. 
And it's only as we own that greater identity that our lesser identities become meaningful and fruitful in the kingdom. Galatians chapter 3 reminds us of this when the Apostle Paul says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You have taken a greater identity. And there is neither Jew nor Greek among you, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's God saying? He's saying own that greater identity. And that's what we're going to hear about here in Philippians chapter 2. As Paul kind of changes gears in his address to the believers, the, the shift is to owning that greater identity. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Let's listen to what the Bible says to us. Philippians 2 verse 1. If, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, the Apostle writes, by being like-minded, having the same love. We're going to talk about what that means in a moment. By being one in spirit and in purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of owners, uh, the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Wow. You can clearly hear what God is saying here. He is calling us to own this greater identity as the family of God before, above, and beyond any other identities we may have been given or we may have chosen for ourselves. Listen to what he says in verse 1 again. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort, if any fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the experience of God's presence in your day-to-day -day life, if any tenderness and compassion as you realize how tender and compassionate God has been to you, if you feel those things, Paul says, then understand that the response God wants from me and from you is to then own one another to own your identity as a believer above all things. You know, this, this description of fellowship with the Spirit and tenderness and compassion, this is what happens to someone who meets God, who encounters God, who discovers that God is their Savior. When that happens to us, we feel it. We don't just think it, we feel it. We experience it. And most of you who are listening to me right now, if not all of you, you know what I'm talking about. You feel that sense of God's love and grace and compassion. Paul says the, the response to that that God seeks is that then you would own one another. That you would see yourself as a brother, a sister, a member of the family of God. Those kind of feelings that he talks about, those are the indication that somebody has had a genuine encounter with God. And you know, there's a difference between encountering the power of God and encountering God himself. In the scripture, over in Luke chapter 17, we read the story of, of ten men who were afflicted with leprosy. Jesus met them and healed them. But in the story, only one of them connects with Jesus personally. The other nine just experience that power and keep moving and go on about their life. But the one comes back and says, thank you 
thank you. And to that one, Jesus says, yeah, you have received much more than healing of your body. You're receiving healing of your spirit. And here in Philippians 2, Paul is saying, if you and I have experienced that, then allow yourself to be changed from a me into a we. Allow yourself to think of yourself, not as an individual first, but as a member of a family, as a member of the body of Christ, as a brother, a sister in Jesus. You know, to this day, whenever I meet someone who, who was in the Marines like I was, we just have an instant connection. Oh, you were in, you were in, oh wow. And all of a sudden, there's this connection. Uh, and and it, it doesn't diminish with time. <laughs> it doesn't diminish with distance. It just, it's instantaneous. God says, in a much greater way, Greg, let that happen when you meet a fellow believer. Own that we more than you focus on your me. And Paul says that expresses itself in some very specific ways. He says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. Let's talk about those three things for just a moment. To be like-minded means to be concerned about and focused on the same thing. Like two members of a band playing together. They have a piece of music and they are working together to make that piece of music heard. But, but here in this moment, the language is a little bit stronger than that. It, it, it's kind of like being a member, not just of any band, but of a, a free jazz ensemble where each member of the, of the ensemble is watching and listening to the others and adjusting and changing on the fly. God says, be like that with your fellow believer. Constantly aware of where they are, in tune with what's happening with them, and then fitting in to that living whole. Paul says, be, be like-minded to us as Christians in God's church. And then he says, have the same love. He, he used the word agape and, and the emphasis is on unconditional acceptance. It has the idea of publicly overlooking differences because you let a greater identity overcome a lesser identity. I can't think of a better picture of this than that famous August afternoon in 1947 when the first African-American player in the major leagues, Jackie Robinson, took the field to the loud hatred of that crowd, that audience in, in Cincinnati. And, and the hate, as it was pouring down on him, he, he was at second base. Uh, the shortstop, Pee Wee Reese, looked up at the crowd walked over to Jackie Robinson and put his arm around him, said, I'm with him. My identity is greater with him than a member of a team or the color of my skin. Paul says, be like that with other believers. Have the same love. Own one another above any lesser identity. And then he says to be one in spirit and purpose. The word literally means, it's the Greek word, sumsikos. It literally means to be joined in soul and in spirit. To share the same intent for the sake of others. As Hurricane Harvey pounded Houston in August of 2017, there was massive flooding in the street. And from that, that time of difficulty and adversity came some marvelous stories. 
In one is the story of a pregnant woman who went into early labor in the apartment building where she was living, and that early labor had complications. It was necessary for her to get immediately to the hospital, but because of the flooding, the, the depth and the speed of the water, her husband couldn't, couldn't drive her there. A car couldn't navigate the streets. Word spread through the apartment building, and you'll see a picture of this on the slide that's coming up. Word spread through the apartment building, and so the neighbors got together and said, we got to get her to the hospital. And one of them actually had a, access to a dump truck, so he went and got it and brought it to the apartment building. The others formed a human chain in order to safely move her out of her apartment into this dump truck and then to watch over her as they got her to the hospital. The whole apartment complex came together for her sake. It's a wonderful story. And if you read the article, it goes on to talk about the bond that was created among the people that formed that human chain, that stepped into that moment. Paul says, be like that with your fellow believer. Form a human chain whose purpose is to help others know the love and grace of God. Be like-minded. Have the same love. Be one in spirit and purpose. God says that's the right response, the response he seeks to what we feel when Jesus comes into our lives. How does that happen among us? Verses 3 to 4 tells us very specifically that, Greg, if you want to be part of this, if you want this to happen, if you want to give this response to your Father God, then here, here's how you do it. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Again, let yourself be a we more than a me. Let the greater identity of being a we rise above the lesser identity of being a we. You know, to put this in another way, don't ask first what a church or a gathering of believers can do for you. But instead, ask what you can do for them. Reject that consumer mentality. Boy, because of the culture we live in, we fall into that so easily. We see every venue beyond our own home as, as a, a place to get what we need or want. And, and that's fine if you're going to Walmart or Safeway or, you know, wherever. But don't look at church that way. When you think of church, say, hey, what can I go there to give? You know, one of the, one of the uh, most ironic complaints that you hear from time to time among believers is somebody will say, I'm just not getting fed at my church. God's response to that is, well, who are you feeding? <laughs> you know, what are you contributing? How are you going to give instead of merely going to get? The Holy Spirit says, let your regard for your communal life be greater than your individual walk with Christ. To put it another way, instead of asking yourself, as we all tend to do, instead of saying all the time, how am I doing? Say to yourself, how are we doing? How, how are we making it? You know, MRCC is, is able to help with that in some beautiful ways because of the faithful giving of our congregation. Uh, again, this week, we're, we're meeting the needs of people in our church who are, you know, struggling through some difficult times. But it's more than just that. It's this attitude that says, when I walk through the doors on Sunday morning, I'm not there just for me. I'm there for us. I'm there for we. I'm there to be uh, who God has called me to be, a we.
had a great conversation some time ago with a young man who's, who's preparing for the ministry. And you know, he's going to, to college and studying and, uh, and intensely involved in his own devotional life. He says, you know, honestly, Pastor Greg, I, I feel like I'm getting so much from my classes and from my personal study time. I, I don't know that I really feel like I need church in this season of my life. I said to my friend, oh, my brother, <laughs> I hear you, but you're completely missing it. The question isn't, do you need fellowship? The question is, who needs your fellowship? Who can you encourage? Who can you speak to? Who, whose life can you touch? We don't go to church to get. We go to church to give. And that's what Paul is talking about here in Philippians chapter 2. This isn't easy to do. It doesn't come naturally, but it can be learned. And we learn it when we watch our great king, Jesus. You know, Paul, in, in verses 6 to 8, calls our attention to his example. Listen to what he says, because this is deep and profound, and then we'll move into the home stretch together. He says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or held onto or insisted on. But instead, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. He made himself nothing. He chose the identity of a servant. The Bible says that my attitude, your attitude, should be the same. Now there's an important uh, moment in this passage to understand. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. You know, the Bible is saying that Jesus didn't insist on his status in heaven as the Son of God. Instead, he surrendered it to come to earth and save us. And when we, when we read this passage, when we hear that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, we, we tend to hear it in a particular grammatical construct. We tend to hear it as what we call a concessive. And all the word nerds sat up straight and said, yay, I like this part. We, we tended to hear it as a concessive. In other words, we tend to hear it this way. Even though God was greater than everyone, he made an exception to his greatness by coming to earth and being a servant. That's what we call a concessive. He conceded. But when you look at the grammar of this passage, you quickly recognize that it isn't concessive, it's causative. In other words, precisely because he is the greatest in all the universe, he humbled himself and made himself a servant. What else would he do? That's what greatness is. And so the picture here is not of God pretending to be something he isn't so that he can save us. The picture is God revealing who he is by becoming a servant. You know, when I recognize that, holy cow, that, that changes my appreciation for my Savior, for my Lord. And Paul says, your attitude and mine should be the same. You know, we see a beautiful picture of this over in John chapter 13, the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. 
You know, the moment is the end of a long, busy day of travel. Guys have been walking in the desert in their sandals and they're filthy, they're dirty, they're stinky, and they gather in this room for dinner at the end of the day. And it was the custom for a household servant to, to wash feet preparatory to a dinner like that. But in this home, there was no household servant to do that. Maybe it was a poor home. We don't know. Maybe the servant was off that night. I don't know. But there wasn't one to wash feet. And as they gathered, nobody really wanted that job except Jesus. The scripture says that he looked around, saw that there was no household servant to wash feet. And so he got up, wrapped a towel around his waist, filled a basin with water, and went from disciple to disciple washing their feet. Why? Because that's who he is. Because that's his heart. Because that's his spirit. And we would look at that situation. Wait a minute. You're the leader. You're the master. You're the teacher. You're the Lord. And Jesus would say, yes, and precisely because I am. That's why I wash feet. That's why I choose to be a servant. God says, Greg, your attitude should be the same as that. Because when it is, then you're letting your we identity overcome your me identity. You know, there's a moment I'll never forget. I was traveling with some fellow pastors in Brazil uh, years ago. And we were visiting churches and talking with missionaries, seeing what was happening in that part of the world. And we, we, the first church that we came to, the first church service that we attended, they insisted that we sit on chairs at the front of the sanctuary. Uh, and then as the service began, these Brazilian believers came forward and knelt in front of each one of us to wash our feet. And as they were doing that, the pastor said, we want to thank you for sending American missionaries to Brazil so we could hear the gospel. When that, when that guy came to wash my feet, I thought to myself, no, 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 I should be washing yours. You guys are a greater example of who we're supposed to be in Christ than we are. I don't want you to wash my feet. I should wash yours. And then I, I heard Jesus saying, you know, this foot washing, this servant thing is a matter of receiving as well as giving. And so I said to myself, yeah, I remember Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. Jesus said, I have to. And, and so Peter allowed it. And I sat there in the same way. And, and then I noticed this guy that was washing my feet, he started weeping. My wife says it's because of the way my feet smell, but that wasn't what was really happening. He was feeling something deep and strong and profound. And the next thing I know, I'm weeping as well. And we are bonded and suddenly we're a we. I'm not a me, he's not a me, we're a we. God says that he wants that to happen in us, that that's how we respond to what he has done for us. And, and verse 9 of chapter 2 goes on to say that because Jesus chose to do that, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Our Father God promises eternal reward, forever glory for all of us who choose to be a we more than a me, to be a servant first and above all, to be a community of faith, rather than an individual having a walk with God. Friends, this kind of attitude will work itself out in a million little ways in every day of your life once you choose it. Once we choose it, just like Jesus did. Paul goes on 
And he says in verses 14 and following, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Continue to discover what it means to be a we more than a me. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Come back to that in a moment. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God, a we, not a me. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like the stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Hear God's heart in that moment, in which you shine like the stars in the universe as you together as a we hold out the word of life. We become people God is proud of as we own this identity, this we instead of me. Think about how you feel about one of your kids when they own their responsibility to love and care for their brothers and sisters. When something rises in your heart, in the same way it rises in God's heart. When you and I choose this attitude, and this attitude creates us. It transforms us, it changes us from what we would become if left to ourselves. Can I make a confession to you? Can, can I be honest and open with you? Many of you know, by nature, I'm an introverted person. I look forward to staying home, to peace and quiet, to rain and solitude. I look forward to it. And the first day, it's great. I love it. I drink it up. But after that, after that first day, I begin to feel myself degrading a little. And I can hear God calling me into fellowship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I can hear him calling me. Now there's a part of me that says, no, no, I want to be alone more. But God says, no, you really don't. You just think you do. And as he pulls me back into that fellowship, I become much more than I would have been if left to myself and stayed home all the time. You know, the truth of the matter is that introvert Greg might never become a pastor or a father or a husband or a friend. But God's call to be a we more than a me makes me more than I would have been otherwise. And the same is true in your life. The same is true in all of our lives. I am so thankful that God calls me to be a we, that he says one day in seven, set it aside for worship, to gathering with your fellow believers in whatever way you can, because you're transformed by it. Because you're made more than you would be if you don't, because being a we is what happens through that. If you pay attention to the voice of God's spirit inside of you, you hear him calling you to this. That's why verse 13 says it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And, and then finally, Paul finishes his thought by saying, verses 17 and 18, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. In other words, as we give ourselves to this, we become a we, and we discover a joy greater than we would know by insisting on being a me first. So let me ask you as we close this morning, you know, have you allowed yourself to be a we more than a me? That's what God calls us to. And that's what you will find satisfying you more than insisting on trying to be an individual before you are part of the family of God. This simple transition from a me to a we is the will of God for you, for me, for us. 
And in it, we will find the greatest reward of all. That's why God exalts Christ, humanly speaking. That's where we find our fullness. Let me ask you again, are you a me or a we? Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. Let's take a minute together. Father God, we hear your call to us in your word. And Lord, we confess that inside of us there is a desire to obey you in this, to be more of a we than a me. God, give us the faith, the courage. Give us the love to do just that. Help us to hear you calling us to be your family, not just abstractly, but in practice. Teach us to own, to serve, to bless one another that we might find ourselves. We pray for that. Lord, teach us to have the same attitude that you had when you came to earth, when you washed those feet, when you gave your life for us. Teach us to have that same attitude, we pray. And send us out into the world living like you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining with us. Let yourself reflect on what God is saying here in Philippians chapter 2, and you'll be glad you did. Now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God, tell someone you love him. Have a great afternoon.